Hello, everyone. I'm Becca, dietitian by trade, mom 24-7, wife from the start, and when there's a few extra hours in the day, you might find me hitting the trails or on horseback. And I'm Kara, a therapist to women, a mom to a boy, an entrepreneur, mountain junkie, and a postpartum runner. And this is Fit for a Queen, a podcast that's devoted to the female athlete wanting to balance the teeter-totter of all the things we desire out of life as women. Performance, health, intellect, and taking time for self, even if we only get one minute out of the day. We're so excited to be bringing you the queens in the athletic world who have done just that. Okay, ladies, take a seat at your thrones, grab your crowns, and welcome to Fit for a Queen. Welcome back, queens. We have Iona Holloway. She is a number one best-selling author, coach, and speaker. She helps women stop shrinking their bodies, worth, and power through vulnerability, creativity, and breath work. She and her partner, Sean, live in Boston with a very clingy, oh boy, Shiba Inu? Did I say that right? Shiba Inu? Shiba Inu. Okay. And a cat Iona has never held. Her pets have taught her a lot about embodied trauma. We'll be sure to have lots of information on how you can find more resources, her Instagram and LinkedIn in our show notes. But welcome, Iona. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. It's a perfect description of a cat, a cat that you never held, right? (laughs) Clingy dog, cat you never see. (laughs) Yeah, we've had we've been on a real journey with our with our animals, but they're a good example that anyone can you're never beyond saving. <laughs> There's always feeling oh, that can be done. Oh Absolutely. man. Yeah, they're just the best. <laughs> so let's just jump right in. Why did you decide to write ghosts and what inspired you to put your journey down on paper? Tell us a little bit about it. Mm. So I was one of those kids that said they were going to write a book. Obviously I was young, had no idea what it was going to be about, but I always thought I was going to be someone that wrote a book. And then over the course of, the, of my life, a lot of my dreams and aspirations and creativity really fell out of my life as I became more and more fixated on controlling my body and dieting. It was almost as if all of my creativity got starved out of me. That's that's what it felt like. So Ghost by Perfect Woman Shrink is one of these beautiful, feels like a full circle moment where in my late 20s, I finally decided that I was going to, in quotes, get well, find a way to reclaim my life and stop dieting and actually start liking myself Mm -hmm. in some kind of way. And so publishing Ghost really represents the steps that I took to reclaim myself and all all the steps along the way of learning why it was that I got so drawn into this war uh, with food and body, how perfectionism was wrapped up around that. And one of my main goals for a ghost was to write specifically to the kind of women who everyone assumes are fine. So the ones who Mm -hmm. are shining in their lives, strong in their lives, who feel like or look like they have everything together because that was definitely the illusion that I created but underneath so much invisible struggle and so when I wrote when I wrote Ghost I really wanted this book to speak directly to the woman who perhaps everyone else assumes are fine the women that hide in plain sight but perhaps need this message the most Mm -hmm. oh I love that you know I think now I'm thinking about this Ina 
I don't I would like our listeners to know a little bit about how what do you mean by embodied trauma? I know in your bio, I don't know if a lot of like women or people would know what that means. Mm-hmm. Could you define what that means? Yeah. Yeah, of course. And I'm glad you asked that because it's not a word that perhaps I would have even thought about was relevant to mm-hmm. me a, like a few years ago when I started doing whatever you want to call it, inner work, healing work, recovery I don't love. But whenever I, the work that I started to do to become okay being myself in this world, what I mean by embodied trauma are all of the micro tears that happen throughout our life that in some way make us feel less safe, that cause us to shrink. And by that, I mean, become less of ourselves, perhaps lose the confidence or the freedom or the free will or the safety that perhaps we come into the world with, but that we lose over time through experiences with other people, perhaps the way that we're raised experiences that happen to us that are outside of our control, the way society places upon us expectations about who we're supposed to be. These are all examples of trauma. I think often that we think about trauma as perhaps a singular intense event, and that that can be true. But the reality is that as human beings, we all experience these moments where our life is changed by our environment and by the people in it. And it impacts who we are. And so that lives in our body. It doesn't just live in our minds. It lives in our body and it becomes part of who we are. And so it has to be an active choice to reclaim. I talk a lot about reclaiming, reclaiming our voices, reclaiming our bodies, reclaiming our identity and who we are in this world. And it's not just a case of changing our mind or thoughts or opinions. It's about learning how to feel through these experiences and heal them. I'm so glad you had her define it. That's probably one of the best definitions I've heard. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. So obviously the title is Ghost Woman. What is a ghost woman and why is it important that we put a name to the experience that you describe in your book? Oh, I love this question. So the reason I called the book Ghost is because my experience as what I would call high-functioning, struggling woman was an invisible one. So outwardly, I had all of the the glitter that everyone would assume would make my life easy. And I very much perpetrated that through the way that I presented myself, talked about myself, and acted. I had a successful job, had a relationship, um, had a very small and lean and socially acceptable body, um, and by all intents and purposes, I had it all. I was I was perfect. And that was my that was always my goal was for it to be presented that way. But the invisible struggle that underpinned all of that was a deep, deep dissatisfaction with who I was. And that's probably a polite way of saying like loathing, like pure self-loathing about who I was and a massive, massive fear of being discovered as a fraud, but I had to keep this pretense alive. And so my pain, this the ways I struggled, hid in plain sight. It was invisible. And that's why I called the book Ghost, because I think that so many people are outwardly shining. So many of us have perhaps all the things that should safeguard us against suffer against suffering, or at least that's what we're told 
to to believe. But the reality is that so often what lies underneath that, what the pain that lies invisibly underneath that is what causes a lot of people to not fundamentally enjoy themselves. And I mean, enjoy their life like themselves, see themselves as someone of worth, even when they're not working hard or shining or whatever it is that we're doing to pretend that we're okay. That's that's the reason why so much of the book is around invisibility and bringing it to light so that people don't struggle alone anymore. My experience was so lonely because I thought I was so individual and special in my struggle. And the more we can normalize that none of us are perfect, that we all have our vulnerabilities, that that's not a bad thing, that that's actually what makes us human. I'm really on a mission to make these experiences one that we don't struggle with individually and alone. Mm -hmm. You know, Iona, when I hear you speak immediately, I think of, so Kara and I are in the the Kansas City area and it's where Kate Spade was from Mm. originally. And, you know, you know, at the height of her career takes her life and, you know, it, it comes out when they interview a lot of her loved ones, her off and on struggle with mental health. And one of the things that really struck me that she had said was that she felt like she couldn't voice the struggles that she had with everything that she was blessed with. Mm. So it was almost like because mm. she was so fruitful in her career, she almost felt guilt for struggling with with mental health. And so books like this that speak to that is going to be so powerful. Yeah, uh, yeah, I love that parallel. I think in Ghost, I write something about not being able to say anything because we should be grateful for the gift of being gifted. That was that was something that I felt so much throughout my life was that I had no reason to complain because I was perhaps naturally good at things or independent or good at sports or outwardly presented as strong I felt like I didn't have justification to feel bad about anything and that was reflected back to me as well and I think that that's something that's important for us to understand this experience within a wider context like it was very clearly communicated to me not intentionally but by parents, by friends, by teachers, by professors, by employers, the message reinforced that I didn't need help and I shouldn't need it because of X, Y, and Z, because I was good at this, this, and this. And that can force us into even more silence. Absolutely. And that leads me to this next question about this high-performing perfectionism, this expectation of self, and this connection between food and body. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. To kind of take it back to when I first started struggling with food and body, I have very early memories of standing on scales when I was perhaps three or four or five and being a very picky eater. But when shrinking my body and then kind of vaulting into these crazy fluctuations between eating nothing and then eating until I was until I felt physically ill. That didn't really happen or begin to become a huge part of my life until around the age of eleven. And I often say, and I I heard myself say this 
so many times during my life and I'm only really beginning to understand what I was meaning now when I was saying it but all through my 20s I would say things like I feel like I peaked when I was 11 and I go, I go back to that and I and I was questioning what does that mean and I think the the truth that I've come to believe about that is around about 11 was the time when all of the ways that I was good I had to start working a lot harder in order to be perfect so there was more competition because I was at a larger school there was more competition in field hockey because I was beginning to go to these trials and there were more people that I had to compete with and the thing about perfection is that you're either the winner or you're the loser it's black and white mm-hmm. it's classic black <laughs> white all the thinking and so around about that time the pressure of maintaining my identity as this perfect girl becoming a perfect woman the intensity of it grew and so one of the ways that or the most powerful and painful way this manifested was I began to take that out on my body and so shrinking and then kind of rebounding from that when the control around my body broke that's really where that began to take hold and it only got worse and the extremes of it only got more intense as the years went on and it just became harder and harder to hide And also harder and harder to be good enough because the weight was never small enough. So the hunger was never intense enough. And then the binges on the opposite, we just get more and more intense. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So as you know, as things kind of change, are there certain like behavioral indicators that someone may be ghosting themselves or might be a ghost? Or do you find women just kind of instinctively know something is wrong? Mm. (laughs) It's funny, I didn't think there was anything wrong with me <laughs> for a really long time. Sure. I was convinced I was, I was doing it absolutely perfectly. I would say that it was actually my human body that started to break down that eventually forced me to pay attention to what I was doing. So I have a very strong mind. I think a lot of women who perhaps resonate with stories I share and ghosts would relate to that. We can pretty much override everything because there is that high capacity for pain and a lot of honor in the struggle but there got to a point where I was just one slammed with insane fatigue and lethargy in my body I would get injured like every two weeks there would be some other part of my body that was strained or painful it felt like bone deep at that point my skin hurt I didn't have a period for the vast majority of my adult life. And the intensity of the feelings I had about this and myself intensified. So I guess perhaps you would conventionally call it depression, but just like this crushing sadness, which I would wake up with and it would just slam down on me every time I woke up. These were all ways that my body was screaming at me. And it got to a point where I just couldn't not pay attention. And I write about that in Ghost. I kind of call it the reckoning. And that's what it felt like. It felt like I got my own body slammed me on the floor. So I had to (laughs) pay attention. It got your attention somehow, huh? (laughs) Well, it's wise that way. That's the thing that I now like being 
in a relationship with my body where I can sort of truly acknowledge and I'm just endlessly amazed by its intuitive wisdom and actually being able to work with that instead of against it and realizing now that it was always so wise. <laughs> it knew a lot lot earlier and for a lot longer than, than me that something wasn't right here. It's a beautiful thing to be able to come back around and be appreciative of of that time, even though it was some of the worst <laughs> some of the worst times of my life. Also the best. Sure, looking back <laughs> now, right? Well I think that is you know, a good point. We talk about this that they are they haven't hit rock bottom yet. They're not gonna get better till they hit rock bottom, that there always has to be a breaking point. So do you think that energy can be re- redirected before it gets to that point? I think so, yes. The reason I believe that is because a lot of the women I know work with, I wouldn't say have hit the same depths that I did. Some of them have. Um, and then even some of them, I would say, are fully blown ghost women and have never struggled with food in their body. And their experience of being invisible was separate of all food and body. I think that's something that I always like to reinforce is that my my origin story, the way I disappeared, the way I struggled invisibly was through food and body. Um, but that's not always the case. And a lot of the women that I've worked with haven't actually had the exact same experience, although they have had that feeling of just no longer being able to do what they're currently doing. I sometimes think that when you have, when you do have a very high capacity for pain, it sometimes takes longer for you to to really pay attention to yourself. But there's women who have worked with me who haven't been broken but they have been incredibly aware that the life that they're living is not one that feels like them. And I'm not quite sure the perfect way to do it. No such thing as perfect. I'm not sure the exact way to describe that, but it's just that kind of feeling of not being able to be yourself and always questioning why things never quite seem to work out or why you never quite seem to feel okay with the person that you are that discomfort sometimes is enough to inspire women to change. And that's a beautiful thing. Love that. Mm -hmm. So what is the blacklight method? Yeah. So the blacklight method is basically the foundation of the approach that I take with all of my work. So whether that's one-on-one or whether it's workshops I'm running or groups that I'm facilitating the foundation of the blacklight method is vulnerability, creativity, and breath work. So back to your one of your earlier questions about embodied trauma, something that I believe so deeply is that we can't think our way through our healing. It has to be, I'll say cooking the rice, like it has to be felt and something and our body has to go through the process of it. And so embodiment practices and visualizations and breath work and working with our nervous system to understand why we feel the way we feel about ourselves is a really foundational part of the work that I love to do. And then creativity is something that I love to bring into healing work because I <laughs> we're not just here to cry and die and be in pain <laughs> all the time. Like there's, 
That'd be pretty sad. Yeah, there's something really creative about the idea that we are able to create our experiences, change our lives, let that be a creative process. I worked as a, a designer and a creative director for most of my 20s, and I love bringing in that idea of design and creative thinking um, into, into healing work. Like, what are we working on? What are, what's the vision? What do we want to embody more of? What are our core values? How can these be expressed in the way that we live our life? So that's where the creativity comes in. And then I've left vulnerability to last, although I think it's perhaps the most important. One of the biggest things that we can do for ourselves, one of the biggest gifts we can give ourselves is leaning into the power of vulnerability. And that is such, it can be, because I, I know from personal experience and from witnessing it in so many people's journeys at this point, being vulnerable when we're known as being strong, those two those two things, it feels like they can't exist. But what happens when we're able to be honest about our experiences and share them truthfully rather than sugarcoating them or pretending it's okay or gaslighting ourselves by acting like things didn't happen. When we're really able to lean into our vulnerability with someone who's able to hold the space for us, that is how we don't become strong, we become resilient. We become able to bend and flow with our lives rather than being in control of it. And that's a skill that can never be <laughs> over-practiced. Love it. Yeah. Uh, we have to ask, did you design your book cover? Because that is awesome. Yeah, it's cool. It's very pretty. I, I, I didn't, but I was highly involved mm-hmm. in, in the process of it. So the, the folks that published my book, Scribe, I was paired with an incredible designer and I had very specific ideas about colors that I wanted to be in the book. I'm a kind of minimal, very stark, bold person, generally speaking, when it comes to visual stuff. So it was a really beautiful creative process, but I can't I can't claim ownership of it. The designer, Erin Tyler, did a, a stunning job. Yes, they did. Well, we're going to be sharing this book. I'm really excited about it. I'm going to get my hands on it and such an important topic. And thank you for being on, for chatting with us. We love to end every interview with asking our interviewee how they're fulfilling the fit philosophy, (laughs) how you're living out performance, health, intellect, and taking time for self. So how are you trying to balance it all and wrote a book and getting through this crazy year? (laughs) How have you figured that out? Oh my goodness. I think that that, that to me is like, it's the alignment of yourself. And that is something that I liken it to hand balancing. My partner is this, he's a pretty advanced hand balancer. And he's always talking about how weird it is to learn how to stand on your hands. And I often think that that's what living in a line life can feel like. It's like, how do we, how do we keep ourselves in line with all of the forces that push and pull us? I have some very specific things that I do that I've found really work for me. One is I wake up at the same time every day, whether or not it's the a weekday or the weekend. And this is something that I did when I was a child. Like I always woke up at 6.09 for some bizarre reason and never needed an alarm. And I've actually reverted back 
just a living more in alignment with the way that I was before I quote unquote broke myself. Mm-hmm. So I'm an early riser. I love the rhythm of that. The first few hours of my day are always my own. I don't open myself up for any human interaction before about 8 a.m. Always sleep eight hours a night. I'm not militant about it, but I know what I need to feel good and to be resourced for the folks that I'm supporting. And then I always, every day, create time for creative practice, whatever that looks like, whether it's writing, whether it's going for a walk and just having a look at what's going on outside. These are all things that are really, they're really basic. And I often think the most powerful practices are. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for being on. Thank you so much for writing this book. We're excited to share it. And again, thank you so much. I hope you have a great day today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was, this was wonderful. Oh, thanks, Iona. Take care. Thanks. Bye, Queens. Bye. Bye, Queens. Today's episode is brought to you by Yours Truly. I'm excited to announce the releasing of my book, Finding Your Sweet Spot in Sport, Avoiding Relative Energy Deficit in Sport, also known as REDS, by optimizing your energy balance. Be sure to follow me on social media or go to my website, www.beccamacomble.com. Bye, queens. For additional information on today's topic and guests, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at FitForQueen. Hashtag fit for a queen. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes. We can't wait for you to join us next time on Fit for a Queen. Bye, queens.